Parshas Tetzaveh, and it says when discussing the big day Paingado, one of the begadim of the Paingado was the Me'il. The Me'il was the coat that hung down over the body of the Paingado, and on the bottom there were some special accessories. A chalak of the me'il on the bottom, hem. Pamain zav v'rimain, pam zav v'rimain. There was a bell and a pomegranate that continued a pattern, pamain and then rimain. Al shule ha'me'il saviv that were on the bottom hem of the me'il going around. And it should be on Aaron as a as a way of being Mishares, as a way of his service. The Nishma So that when he goes in and out of the Mikdash, as he's doing his Aveda, the Nishma his sound should be heard. The fact that he is moving, the fact that he is here, the fact that he is present, all of that should be heard. There should be a sign of that. And if he has that sign, if he has those bells that are ringing as he's moving about, he won't die. So the Ramban explains in his commentary to these psukim, he says, why do we have such a thing? What is the significance of these pamainim, of these golden bells? Is that a normal thing to put on an outfit? You don't normally find that on a big day malchus, which is the big day kaingado, was l'chavad ulusifares, there was an intent to try to make it as regal, as royal as possible. You don't find that kings generally wear bells as they walk around. That's not normally a part of the of the uniform of a king. So what's the point? So the Ramban says that the point is that when he's walking about in the Mikdash, in the Mishkan, he should be heard. There should be a, a sound that he emits as he's walking to and fro the Ramban says that the point is that when you're walking, when you're entering into the Mikdash as he's going about his Aveda, he is going as if he is asking Rishus. Like we find by Achashverish, we know that Esther did not want to go in abruptly to the king. And she says that if anyone goes into the king without being invited first, Achas she or he, whoever goes uninvited will be Chayav Misa. You don't just stroll into the Oval Office. You don't just stroll into the king's throne room without getting a written permission first. You have to be called upon, you have to be invited. If you just stop, waltz in, uninvited, you're Chayev Misa in many countries. 
And so the Ramban is explaining that the reason for the Torah to Mechaev Akayin Gadol to have on his garments the bells, the Pamayne Zav, is in order that he should be Nichnas Birishus. When you walk about, if you would go without the bells and you would just go into the Mikdash and out of the Mikdash and into the various chambers, that would be akin to going into the house of the king, into the Beis HaMelech Shalai Birshus. You don't just go in without an invitation, but rather you have to go in as if you're saying, may I come in? May I have permission to enter? So the king, the Kayin Gadol doesn't have to actually say that, but the fact that he has bells on him, and as he's walking, the bells are emitting a sound, is basically asking a constant permission every step he takes. May I walk another step? May I come in here, please? And that is the point, says the Ramban, of the Pamayne Zav on the Me'il of the Kayin Gadol. We see from this Ramban a very, very important yisaid. And that is that a person should not think that the world is a Hefkerwelt. That the world is a place that I could go, I could come without any permission, without any rishos. I could do whatever I want. It's a free world. I'm able to come and go as I please. Nobody's going to ask I don't need to ask Rishos from anybody. I could come, I could do. That's not the way the world was designed, and especially if we are people that are Hashem, we have to understand that whatever we do, we have to constantly seek permission from people that are greater than us and make sure that we are always in, the, in a place invited and properly designated to be there. If we go and we're not supposed to be somewhere and yet we break in and we go and we trespass, that's a tremendous infraction in the way that the world is supposed to operate. A person has to be in the Lashon of the Ramban. You have to always seek and ask permission and not go in unless you have permission. It's interesting, the Ramban is Lashitasai. Because there's a drasha that the Ramban once gave. It's called the drasha lachasna. We have a, we have several drashas that the Ramban gave. One of them was the earliest that we have. The earliest known drasha is the drasha that the Ramban gave at a suda of a chasna. And there he starts off his drasha, and he asks Rishus from his rabbeim who were present. And what he basically says is that I am not coming here to be marbeh, my own covet. I'm here for kvechemayim. The reason why I am here giving a drasha, even though there are people that are greater than me, is because I'm here for kvechemayim. I'm here to give a drasha for laman Hashem. But I understand that there are people here that are greater than me. My rabbeim are here. So he says, Lokach eni ledaber. I have to first, before I utter any word, as I'm coming before you, I must ask your permission. And then Ramban, Ban Visanusa says that And even what I will say is only things that you taught me. I'm not going to be speaking about things on my own. 
I'm not going to come and say big chidushim in a place that I'm not supposed to. Here I'm in front of my rabbeim. I am not going to speak unless I have your permission. And also, I'm also going to give a that I am not speaking only things that I was taught by my rabbeim. You see, the Ramban clearly understood this concept and lived it. That when you come before your master, when you are in the presence of somebody greater than you, you don't just waltz in, you don't just come in uninvited, you don't just come as if you are a balabas over a situation, a person has to be machnia himself, a person has to come in ki'ilu birashus. And that's what the Ramban says is the lesson of the Pamainezav on the Me'il. I found it fascinating, Maramakim, Tishteltsu, to this Ramban. If anyone's learned Arab Sachim, they know that it's the last parak in Sachim. It's the first thing they know. And the second thing that they know is that there is a beautiful memra that Rabbi Akiva taught his son. There were six things, lessons for life that Rabbi Akiva taught his son. And one of those things were, this is a Gemara in Psachim and Afkuf Yud Bezim and Aleph. He was Mitzavah's son, Laisichanes Levescha Pisaim. When you come home, when you enter your house and you think, oh, this is a place, I am the king of my castle. It's my house, I'm paying the rent, I'm paying the mortgage, it's mine. Don't go in without knocking first. Always enter the house before you come in, ring the bell. Or knock on the door. Make sure that you don't come in abruptly. And the Rashbam there says as follows. He brings a Medrash in Mayikar The Rabbi Yechanan said the same thing and he did the same thing. Whenever he would come into his house, first he would knock on the door. And he brings a Raya from this. The, the Medrash does, I guess Rabbi Yechanan did, from a Pasuk. Which Pasuk says Rashbam? The Nishma Kailai Bevayai El Mamish the same Pasuk. When a person comes in, when the Kaingado goes and walks around the Kaidesh, the Nishma Kailai, you don't just go in, you don't just barge in, you have to have the Pamene Zav ringing. Because you come in, you have to ask for shos. Even if it's your own home, you have to ask for shos. If you go into somebody else's home, you have to ask for shos. You go into somebody else's dorm room, you have to ask for shos. You go into a base medrash or a shir room, you have to ask for shos. Wherever we go, we're not allowed to just barge in in a situation. Even if we feel very comfortable, we feel very heimish, you have to knock on a door, you have to make sure that wherever you're going, it's for shos. I learned this lesson very, very early in life. I had a, um, in, when I was in seventh grade, um, there was a, uh, we had a very good rabbi, I've spoken about him very often here, and we, it was Hanukkah, and we had bought him a brand new shtender, a beautiful shtender for Hanukkah, and he used it in yeshiva, and what happened was that um, I came early to Yeshiva every day because we were, I lived in Long Beach, the Yeshiva was in Long Beach, so I, I you know, we were the first bus to come in, way before the Five Town kids and the, the, the Oceanside kids. Anyway, we were the first ones to come, so it was me and a couple of kids from Long Beach, and we were in the base Medrash, in the base Medrash of the Yeshiva, 
and we were, we were waiting for davening to start, and another boy in my class, he, it's a chevraman, and a mazik, and he basically took the candles, because it was Hanukkah, so we lit candles in the basement, he took some of the wax from the candle, and he wrote it, he wrote something, I don't know exactly what he wrote anymore, I don't remember, but he wrote something on the brand new shender of my Rebbe. And I was appalled, I didn't stop him, he was stronger than me. But I, uh, you know, anyway, so then I, I, then my Rebbe came in and he looked at it, and he was very, very upset. And, and I was sitting, you know, on the first table right in front of my Rebbe, and I, I was smirking. Uh, you know, I wasn't smirking like, you know, Tisha, I just like, cause I saw it and I was like, I wasn't happy about it, but I was, I just, I, you know, it was like, uh, you know, and he saw, he saw my face right away and he, he knew that I knew what happened. So he called me over and he said, uh, he says, do you know who did this? So I said, uh, yes. So he said, who did it? So I said, I really don't want to say. I don't want to say. Uh, the tshuva in Ramesha, by the way, Ramesha has a tshuva about whether or not you have to, you know, you, you can snitch on somebody else if your rabbi asks you to. But I didn't know the tshuva at the time. I just felt like, you know, I, I didn't want to get my friend in trouble. I didn't want to get hurt. And um, so basically he says, okay, says, either you tell me who did it or you're not allowed to come to Shear. Which wasn't either much of a threat to me either, but uh, but uh, okay, I was macabre, so I I got nervous, and after davening, I went over to this friend in the hall, the the guy that did it in the hallway, and I said, listen, I said I'm not going to be allowed to go into shear unless unless Rebbe knows who who did it. So he says, well, I'm not telling. Back and forth, a whole debate. In the end, he says, okay, fine, I'll be murdered. So. He went over to my Rebbe and he admitted it and whatever and whatever he had to do to pay for it. And fine. So then, and he came back over and he says, okay, I, I told Rebbe and, you know, I guess everything's okay. So I came into Shear that day a little late. And so I was coming in. I just, you know, assumed everything was fine and I was going to my seat as if everything was normal. And... And Marebi like stops, and the whole shear like stops, and he says, he says, uh, Maisha, what are you doing here? I said, well, what do you mean? It's shear. So he says, he says, you know, I told you something, remember? I said, but Rebbe knows now who did it. So he says, no, 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 I didn't say that you should make it known to me who did it. I said I wanted you to tell me who did it. You didn't tell me who did it. You're not allowed in Shear anymore. And so I backed it up. I left Shear. I went to the principal. I cried a little bit. And uh, my father was the president of the yeshiva at the time, so <laughs> it wasn't such a problem. But, um, but that was the first time I learned that you need permission <coughs> If a person wants to come in, you're only there at the leisure of the Rebbe. At the pleasure of the Rebbe, you're allowed to come in. But if you don't have permission, you need a new permission. You can't just go in. When a person comes in, 
You have to make sure that you're allowed. You can't just go to and fro. It's not a half kavelt. Every single place is something, a new place. And if you have a chazaka that you're allowed in, you don't have to obviously ask your Rebbe every day as you come into Shir, may I come into Shir? But if there's something that's stopping you and that might be a reason why you don't, you have to come and ask the shos. You cannot go into other people's shos unless you have permission. I think I've told you the, the story many times of Rosh Hashanah I had a friend who used to, at the end of Shir, he would have a certain job that I yashed from him after he left, after he left Rosh Hashanah Shir. The job was basically at the end of Shir, you go over to Rosh Zalman, you get his keys and you get his, his, his contras, his Shir notes, you take it back to the office, and then you get his, you open the door with the keys, you get the hat for Mincha, you leave the notes in the office, and you run to Rosh Zalman, you give him the hat and the keys back, and that's the job. So I got that, I was Baruch Hashem Zaykhid out that, but before that, my friend had it. And what happened one day is Rabbi Shalman after Shir wanted to give him the keys um, to the office and he looked, he puts his hand in his pocket and the keys are not there and he gets very nervous because it's his, probably his house key and his office key and other keys. So my friend says to him, the Rashiva shouldn't worry, I'll, I'll go, maybe the Rashiva left it in the office. So he ran across to the other side of the Yeshiva, he, the door was open and he looks around the keys were not on the table, the keys were not on the bench, the keys were not on the chair, the keys were not on the floor. He says, I don't know where the keys are. All of a sudden, he sees that Shlomo Zalman's coat is hanging on, a, on, a, on, the, on the rack. And he says, oh, he probably left it in his pocket, his coat pocket. So he goes, he puts his hand in Shlomo Zalman's coat pocket, and he says, the keys were there, he was so happy. And he runs, you know, across the polished floors. He like slides right to Rav Shlomo He says, Baruch Hashem, Matzati Etem Avtechot. And Rav Shlomo was very happy. And he says, Oh, did you find it was it was on the desk? He said, No, 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 it wasn't on the desk. He says, Was it on the couch? No, it wasn't on the couch. Was it the chair? No. He says, So where was it? So he says, It was in the Rashiva's coat pocket. And all of a sudden, Rosh Hashanah's face turns white. And this is not a normal Rosh Hashanah's story, so if, you know, the biographer should put their pens away for a minute. It's not the normal kind of story that you'll hear, but I think it's a much better story. And Rosh Hashanah looks at him and says, says, I don't understand. He says, you took your hand and you put your hand into my coat pocket? He says, did you have Rishos to put your hand into my coat pocket? He says, maybe when your hand was in there, maybe you stole my wallet also. Who gave you Rishos to put... My friend Mamish, if there was a, if he had a shovel and the floor was not marble, he would have Mamish buried his own grave there. He was so embarrassed. He felt so bad and so... But that, I'll tell you, that's, enough, that's a lesson. When we go, you, you can't do things without Rishos. You are not allowed to go into another person's domain. Every single person has their own domain. If somebody, if your friend has a desk drawer and you need to borrow some scotch tape, you're not allowed to go into your friend's desk drawer without asking first. Person, a lot of times people go to other people's houses 
and they're in the bathroom, and they, you know, just out of curiosity, they open up the medicine cabinet to see what medications they're taking, what type of, uh, so all this, it's, it's awesome. I, but you know, what exactly, technically, are you not doing, are you doing wrong, you're not stealing anything, you you're not allowed to go into somebody's domain without their rishos. You are not allowed to snoop, you're not allowed to enter, even if it's innocent, you're not allowed <coughs> You have to go, wherever you go, you have to make sure that this is something that I have full permission for. If you, if you don't, you can't assume anything. I'm going to go into his computer, I'm going to go into his drawer, I'm going to go into his room, I'm going to go into his pockets, I'm going to go into his knapsack. If you have no rishos, you have to ask him, may I go in? If he says yes, then you could go in. But if he doesn't, you can't assume anything. It's very Nagea, by the way, in, in our day and age. Because in our day and age, snooping is like already something that's a hobby. With the internet, with the advent of, of Google, and search engines, and all types of things, a person is mamish able to find out things that it would have taken you know, a team of investigators to do over the course of a year. You can mamish find out in like 1.3 seconds today. You can find out, and I know this because I had a, a Talmud who I used to, you know, for a while read Shidochim to, and every time I would say a name, he would come back and say, uh, generally he'd say no. I said, why? He says, well, I found out, I did a little research, I saw you called the references, no, I don't need to. He says, I went online, and he knew, like, Mama, she was a bucky, he was an Ely when it came to, to this investigative reporting thing on the internet. He says, well, I know that they have a very big mortgage left. They didn't pay, they only have a, they only own a fraction of their house. I know they have, I checked their credit rating and it's not too good. I know that the father, he went through a few businesses, he went bankrupt a couple of times, he is suing somebody or he is being sued. And the mamish are able to, people, you're able to find out anything and you think it's Kilo Birshus. It's not Birshus. For some reason, things go public, but that's not, our domain, we're not allowed. Mechatesi, you're allowed to go in and pry and know what, even if it is public property, is it so posher to us that it's not, that we're not either Kamavakami Surim, or at least Midine Derecheretz, that a person, you think a person really wants you to know so much about him? And so a person has to be very, very careful that what we do, it's only Bershus, don't go into places that you're not supposed to. Don't go into place, if you have Rishos, it's fine. But until you have Rishos, don't assume that you have the ability to go and to look and to peek and to pry, because it's very not pushed. The reason for the Pamayne Zav on the Me'il was to know. Vinishma Kaila, your voice should be heard. You're not, a, you're not supposed to be snooping around. Shalai Rishos. Where you go, you have to make yourself known. I am going here. Is that okay? And unless you get permission, then you are not allowed to be there, period. <coughs> People are married. We think it's mutto. My wife, I could check her text messages. I could check her voicemail. I could check her, her email. It's awesome. Besides that, just stop mitzad normal nimusim. Don't look in where you're not supposed to go. And that's why you have to knock on the door before you come, but besides for scaring the person, but maybe the person is doing something that you, they don't want you to know about. You don't have to know about everything. Not everything is our business. You come into the room, you knock on the door. 
You're not allowed to go in to places unless you make yourself known. That's just one of the major yesaydas and derech eres and in normalcy, in normal human interactions, a person has to know his place and know where his place is not. Besides for all these applications that we've spoken about until now, there's another very, very important application about having rishos to do something. There's a Gemara in Zvachim, was actually in this week's daf. The Gemara in Zvachim says, and that Pechesim speaking about the various begodim and parashas tetzaveh and what they're machaper for. So one of the things that the Gemara says is, that me'il is mechapra al-lashen The me'il that we're talking about today is mechapra for lashen hara. Minayin, how do you know? Amr abchanina, yavai davar shebekail v'yechapra al-kail hara. Let the matter of the sound, the pamene zav that gave off this sound as the kain was walking, let that sound come. And let that sound be mechaper on another sound, the sound of evil. Which is the sound that our mouths make as we're talking Lashonara and Lashonara and Lashonara. That bad noise, all of that dirty pollutant noise should be under, undone and atoned for through the curl of the Pamenezov. That's what the Gemara says in Zvachim. And I was wondering, is this two separate reasons now that we have for the Pamayim? We have the reason of the Ramban that we started with today, that the reason for the Pamayim is so that you should not go into a place to labor shus. Wherever we walk, whatever we do, you have to ask permission. You need the green light to go somewhere. You cannot just stand barge in and go places without permission. That's one time for the Pamanizov. And now we have another time in the Gemara Zvachim that Yavai Davar Shabakal Vihapra That another reason for these Pamanizov is in order to atone for Lashanhara. Are these two separate reasons or perhaps they're really one reason if we're able to think about it? And I believe that they are actually the same reason. They're not two separate dinim, it's one din. What do I mean? What would you tell me if I would ask you, what's the evil of Lashon Hara? Why is the whole Welt, since the Chavetz Chaim, made, made a great awareness about this Isser of Lashon Hara? What's the nefarious deed that we're doing? What are we doing that's so bad about speaking loud? I understand mazik. If I go and I, you know, and I take your, I take a baseball bat to your car, I understand that's not a good thing. And I understand all types of other averis, not good. Lashonhara, what am I doing wrong? We're sitting in a dorm room, somebody, somebody's name comes up, and we're schmoozing about him, it's innocent. What's the big deal if I talk about somebody in a bad way? What am I doing already? So, the emphasis is that there are many, many reasons that are given, and they're all very true, and we've spoken about them many times here. First of all, you're actually doing a mazik. It is a mice mazik whenever a person 
um, speaks badly about somebody because if you think it's just innocent chatter, you think it's just innocent schmoozing, and maybe it starts off that way, but we know the way these things work, and we know that if we're speaking about somebody and it comes up, or somebody, let's say, tells me that, you know, Chaim, he's, he's such a shvacha cup. Right, you know, I never knew that about Chaim. I thought Chaim was really a pretty, you know, nice intellectual boy. Somebody puts into my mind now that there's a up. Whenever I look at him, it's inevitable. I'm going to look at him from now on like somebody that's, you know, not that smart. And then when somebody calls me for a shidduch and they say, is he a bright boy? Were it not for that Lashonara, I would say, yeah, he's a very nice bright boy. But now I'm going to be tempted or maybe I will say, I don't know, you know, he's not, he's not the sharpest, you know, draw, knife in the drawer, and he's, uh, you know, uh, something, he's not, he's not that smart. If somebody calls me up about a job for him, what do you, do you recommend him? Yeah, you know, I think he'd be good maybe working in the mailroom. I wouldn't put him in like a, you know, a really advanced thing, because, you know, he's not that smart. And that's the way the Lashonara works. It's mamish and mazik. You're mamish killing the guy's life. He won't be able to get a good shidduch. He won't be able to get a good job. He won't be able to be in the chavra anymore. People won't want him in their chavura. They won't want to be chavrusas with him. And his life really could begin to skid downhill very quickly because of the fact that somebody spoke Lashonara. So Lashonara really is a terrible thing. It's terrible. It's terrible. If you see the Nefesh HaChayim and other Svarim, how it creates very bad ruchais in the world. And you can mamish, like you, you could be creating all types of avalanches in other parts of the world and, and, uh, tsunamis and earthquakes because you spoke badly about somebody else. It creates ripple effects that we don't even want to dream about. In our worst nightmare, we can't imagine what we're doing in the Lama Islamalo when we speak in Lashnara. That's another good reason not to speak Lashnara. But I'll tell you another reason that I don't think anyone speaks about Kimat. And I think it's the most basic reason not to speak Lashon Hara. And that is that the Rabbi Shalom gave us a mouth. It starts from there. We have a mouth. The Rabbi Shalom gave us a Kayach Hadibur. He gave us a gift that we're able to actually speak. We know that that's what makes us greater than all of the behemoths. We have a Kayach Hadibur. We have the ability to express ourselves, to communicate verbally. It's a tremendous gift. Now, being that it's a gift, and we all admit that it is a wonderful gift, nobody would want to not be able to speak. When you open up your mouth, and there's a lot going on, the neshama and the, and the, you know, the diaphragm and the, the everything is pushing and activating the ability to speak and your mind is working and your brain is working and your, your mouth and your vocal cords, your lungs and everything's about to get ready to, to say something. You have to make sure that you have permission to speak. Because it's not yours to use. It's the Rabbanishlam. The fact that we have the ability to speak is a God-given gift. And when we breathe, when we're breathing, when we're speaking, it's really from the Rabbanishlam himself. It's a gift. We don't have the right 
to use something, if it's ours, we've stopped using something without permission, what right do we have to speak unless we get permission first from the Rabbi Yisrael to speak? Forget about all the bad stuff that happens with Lashon Hara. But whenever we speak, we're speaking on borrowed time with borrowed kalim. Our mouth is not our own. We're not a balabas on our mouth. It's all the Rabbi Nishalom's gift. And as such, before we speak, we really have to make sure that we have permission to speak and that what we're uttering is with a rabbinical supervision. There's a Chazal that says this. The Chazal say that before a person should be misfalel, that what goes into his mouth is kosher, a person should be misfalel that what comes out of his mouth is kosher. We have to filter our mouths. We filter our water, we filter our internet, but our mouths has no filter on it. Our mouths are not ours to use. We're not about a bus over our mouths. We have to ask permission. This is really Rabbeinus and Ibershitz, and the Yaros Tavash says exactly this far. He says a beautiful Yisait. The Yaros Tavash gives us a step-by-step tutorial of Shemayna Esrei. And he starts off, he gives us a little time for every bracha in Shemayna Esrei. It's unbelievable. Lima, the Aleshur, brings it in a safer in, in, its, in its totality. And he says like this, when a person starts Shemayna Esrei, he says the following, Hashem, Sifasei Tiftaf, Ufi Yagiti Osecha, Hashem, do me a favor, open up my lips, so that my mouth can utter your praises. Now, Fretzach Akasha says the Aristabash. What does this mean? It means that the lips are the gatekeepers of one's mouth. It means that really our mouth, the default position of our lips should be zipped. We should zip our mouth, our lips should be sealed, because that's the last gate before the words that are about to come out come out. We have other gates, by the way. We have we have the uh, the esophagus. We have the uh, the trachea. We have the uh, the teeth and the the tongue. We have a lot of things that could stop it. There are a lot of barricades before things get out of our mouth. But the last of all of the stops, the last stop, the last brake that you could put on the car before it really accelerates and it goes speedy out of the out of the gate is the lips. So what we're asking Hashem is, listen, my mouths are really, my lips are sealed. That's the default position. So Hashem, please do me a favor. Allow me to open up my lips so that I could sing your praises, so that I could say Shemayna Esrei. I can't. My my mouth is really not allowed to open. I need, you know, for it to be open sesame. I have to, like, say some tefillah so that my lips are able to be open, and now I can say Shemayna Esrei. That's what Rabbi Anderson says. He says, but listen. He says, isn't that a silly thing to say? Isn't it hypocritical to make such a statement? Because look at what happens after we wrap up our tefillin. And after we are finished with our davening. What happens? We go to breakfast. And unless you're in the Chabura that's learning on Slash and Hara, we speak a lot of times about by breakfast about things that are perhaps inappropriate. Lash and Hara, Rechilos, Perhaps a little nibble pear with our cereal. Perhaps we'll speak about topics that are inappropriate. 
in general, some sicha b'teira shmuzing about teachers, about professors, about about what we're doing, about what we're not doing, things that are not appropriate. Let's say. Now, when we do that, do we say, do we start and say Hashem svasai tiftoch? Do me a favor. My lips are sealed. I can't talk. You have to open up my mouth and let me speak Lashon Hara. Let me speak my Rechilos. Let me speak my Maitzi Shema. Nobody ever did that. Yeah, before Baruch Shama, we say, I'm going to, I'm going to speak now. I'm going to sing praises of Hashem. I'm being, I'm preparing my mouth. Do we ever say to speak Lashon Hara? There we don't ask for shus. When it comes to speaking Lashon, to, to Davin Shmoneser, the most wonderful thing we could do. There we have to mamish stop and we have to ask permission. Please open up my mouth. The gatekeepers, open the gates and let me speak your praises. That you ask for. Of course you have permission to do that. That's what the Rebbeinu John wants you to do. But things that are really us, sir, that we never ask for shots for, that we assume is ours to speak. We are, we're balabatim on our mouths. So, Rebbeinu Sinaibashid says, in case you ever hear, when you're saying Hashem Tzvassai Tifra, if you ever hear like a laughing sound, you know, you hear like something laughing behind you, you should know it's the angels. The angels are laughing at you when you say Hashem Tzvassai because of your hypocrisy. The utter hypocrisy and temerity and chutzpah that we have to say Hashem as if our mouths are sealed the whole day and now we're asking for permission to open up our mouths to sing your praises. What a chutzpah to say that before the Rabbi Shalom. The whole day we're using our mouths to utter things that are utterly usher. And there we assume that our mouths are open and it's fair game and it's just schmoozing and it's a bull session. But when it comes to davening, all of a sudden we're asking Rishos, we get, we get very from. And we start really, you know, being very cognizant of the fact that our mouth is really a clique Eidish, and we can only use it, and we need permission. All of a sudden you need permission, and the Malachim are laughing hyster- hysterically. They're in an uproar. They can't believe that a person would say such a thing. And the Bionis and Abishad says it should be a Musar Haskell the whole day. The whole day a person should be remembering Hashem Svasai Tiftah. Hashem, I need your Rishos to speak. I can't speak without your Rishos. The default is not speaking. The default position of my mouth should be sealed. And unless I know that what I'm about to say is mutter and is approved by the Chavitz Chaim, I have no Rishos to say it. That says Rabbi Yenis and it should be the Kavona of Hashem Svasai Tiftach Ufi Yagit You have to ask Hashem always to open up your mouth. Because you don't have Rishos over your mouth were it not for the fact that you're about to sing the praise of Hashem. Somebody told me recently that there was a chazan in Frankfurt, a Yekishayit told me, there was a, a chazan in Frankfurt, I think during the days of the Hassan Seifer, and he never spoke during the week, or on Shabbos. Some people are mocked not to speak on Shabbos, but he never spoke even during the week. He would be very nice, if you come over to him and say good morning to him, he'll say. And when you say good evening to him, he'll go. But he would not open his mouth at all. Why not? Was he an elam? No. He says, my mouth 
was a gift from Hashem. My voice is Kaidish. The Rabbani Shalom gave me a beautiful voice. All I'm supposed to do with it is dive into the Rabbani Shalom. I dare not use it for anything else. And so he would not use it. Mamish Hashem tipped off. His, his lips were completely sealed day and night 24-7 because he understood the Shmuz. He understood Rabbi Yenisanai Bishitz was saying that you don't have Rishus to use it except for Tfilah. When you dive in, that's a Chiddush that the Rabbi Shalom allows you to open up your mouth. I think Tysus and Shabbos brings a Lashen from the Yerushalmi that the Kaishi Tiru, we think on Shabbos, you know, it's also Mutter Shmuz. Chazal say in, in the Yerushalmi, because Tiru, Chazal had to work really hard to be Matir, even saying good Shabbos on Shabbos. Not so Pasha to speak. We think it's Pasha to speak, and now we just have to worry about, you know, a little bit what we could say. No, it's not Pasha to speak. A person should really not speak. If you ever have a choice, you're sitting at a Shabbos table, you're an invited guest, and everybody's talking and schmoozing, and you know, and you're not sure if the topic of conversation is really befitting for Shabbos. Or you know that it's not befitting for because they're talking Lashonara. And so you have a choice here to make. And it's very hard. We've all been in this situation. Mitzad Echad, you don't want to speak because it's Lashonara, it's not Shabbos there. Mitzad Shani, you don't want to look like a fool. You don't want to be the guy that, uh, you know, that, that, that's quiet, that's not social, not sociable, that doesn't, you know, contribute to the conversation. And then, of course, somebody says, hey, you know, uh, Bamberger, why are you so quiet? You got nothing to say there? And then, like, you turn red, and then, and then from then on, like, whatever you say, like, everyone's looking at you, yeah, you're just speaking because, you know, because they put you, they put pressure on you, but really you have nothing to say. And so you're, you're sort of like in this, in this gridlock. And Chazal say that it's much better to be called a shaita shahachas. Let people think you're a fool. Let people think you have nothing to say. But don't be mechal shem shamayim. And don't be a Russia with Hashem. Don't be wicked in the eyes of the Rabbi Yishalom. Much better let people think that you're Mamisha and Elaine, that you don't know what you have nothing to contribute to the conversation. Better that than think that the Rabbi Yishalom should think that we're Rishayim. When the Chavitz Chaim put out his Sefer, Shemir Salashin, it rocked the world. It's a new thing. You know, people, they obviously, you know, you look in the Rambam, the Rambam speaks about Elphaz Lashonar, it's not a new thing. It's the Gemara speak about it. The Torah speaks about it. But it was a cert, it was a thing that, it was a thing that sort of, you know, one of those mitzvahs that were nishkaches, you know, sort of like shotness before, you know, before uh, Yosef Rosenberger came to America. And, you know, people just, they just, they, they knew it was a mitzvah. They didn't think it was like relevant to them. Until they were made to understand that it was very relevant to them. You know, there's certain mitzvahs that are not, and, and Washnara was one of those mitzvahs. One of those mitzvahs like, you know, Mitzayra, we hear Shmuz, you know, Tashis Tazriya Mitzayra about it, but it's something that's, you know, come on, this is America, this is Europe, we don't have to deal with this, not, you know, come on, so it's like, and the Chavitz Chaim brought it back, and people were like, they looked at this, you know, like a big fat safer on Lashon Hara, and they said to the Chavitz Chaim, you know, now that you put out the safer, he says, now, now, what are we supposed to talk, how can we talk? You know, what, what are we supposed to talk about? We can't talk anymore. Everybody's going to like sit quietly all day. We can't talk. 
you know, you, you did us a big disservice by putting out the Sefer. How, how can we talk now? There's so many halachas, we have to learn them, and for the Bermayim Chayim, and all this stuff, like, oh. So Chavetz Chaim says, no. He says, before I put out the Sefer, before I showed the world the halachas, then you were not allowed to talk. He says, now, I put out the Sefer, now you can talk. Because now you know what's mutter to say and what's asr to say. And what the Chavetz Chaim meant is exactly what Urbanus and Ivashitz meant. That until you know, until you have Rishos to speak, you don't have Rishos to speak. It's not your mouth. You're not a bottle of boss over you. What made you the big, big gavra speaking and speaking and speaking? The default is keep your mouth shut. It's always the safest thing, by the way. You never, I never, as a, a piskum, I never regretted not saying something. I never regretted not saying it. You know, I was at a, com- I was at a Shabbos table in 1997, and there was a conversation going. I didn't, I didn't say something. Do you think I regret today? I, I should have said that line. I should have contributed my information to the conversation about that person. I don't regret that. No one has charot over what he didn't say. But you always have charot about what you did say. You speak Lashonar about somebody and it feels good. You have that rush, that adrenaline for a second and then you walk out of the room you feel dirty. A person doesn't have Rishos to talk. Unless you know that what you're saying is mutter, you do not have Rishos to talk. That's the aside that we learned from the Chavetz Chaim. Until the Sefer Chavetz Chaim was put out, you didn't have permission to talk. It wasn't a half It wasn't like, oh, now you're restricting us. No. You didn't have Rishus to talk. I am being a matir to you. Now the Sefer Chavetz Chaim is a matir to talk. Because now you know what's mutter and what's usher, but you don't have Rishus. The normal default is not, I can talk, but it's that I can't talk. And I believe that that explains how the Ramban and the reasons for the Pamein Zav and the Gemara and Zvachim are really one and the same reason. The Ramban says that the reason that we need these golden bells is to teach you a lesson that you have to go Ki'ilu Bereshus the Kaingoda walks around you don't just stop walking around the base of Mikdash like a Hefkevelt, you go and you walk carefully you tread very, very carefully every step a ring. Every step a ring. May I go here? May I go here? May I go here? Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the way a Kayangada walks because you need Rishos. People normally don't have Rishos, but comes the meal and tells you that you need Rishos. Comes the meal, says the Gemara in Zvachim, and teaches you it's a kapar for Lashon Hara. This is not two separate reasons, it's the same reason, because you know the reason why we feel that we could speak Lashon Haaretz, because we feel that, I don't have to ask Rishos, it's a big Hefker belt, my mouth is my own freedom of speech, I could say what I want on my terms, and nobody will dictate what I can say and what I cannot say. That is the most basic reason why people think that Lashon Hara is not such a big deal. Because they feel that they are free to talk. They feel that they don't need Rishos. The Me'il is Mechapra on that. The Pamayim, the Kail of the Pamayim says, listen, the bells symbolize that when you come before the Melech, you need Rishos. 
And that is the lesson. Because if you have Rishos, then that will be Mechapra on the Lashon because once you understand that I can't just go wherever I want, Shaloi Rishos. I need to think really hard every step I take, every word I utter. Is it Mutter? Is it Aser? I need Rishos. That is the first step in the journey of Kapara of Lashon because Lashon comes about because there's this feeling that I'm a Baal I can speak what I want. Don't stop me. How dare you say that's Lashon What are you, some frumiyak? Are you telling me it's Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara, Lashon Hara? I'm allowed to talk. And you know what you should answer that person? Hake Shinov, the Emerloi, that you don't have a chance to talk. It's not your right to talk. You're not the Baal over your mat. You need Rishos. You need the Rabbani Shalom's approval before you talk. If you get that Rishos, if you're Nifnas Kehilab Rishos, fine. Speaking words of Torah, words of Tefillah, words of Chesed, making somebody feel good about themselves, Chizuk, Idud, Brachis. Those are things that are unbelievable to talk about. That you have Rishos for. Everything else. Lashon Hara, not just Lashon Hara. The Rabbi Yisrael Salantu and the Chavetz Chaim came out with the Sefer and said, you know what, this is a great idea. But there should be a companion volume of Sicha Betela and all the Dvar Masturim besides for Lashon Hara. There's many things besides for Lashon Hara that's also to say. We have to learn these things. And until we learn these things, we're not allowed to speak. I'll just end with one Vart of the Chavetz Chaim on this very Pasuk. And I think it's very, very apropos he says, we've explained up until now the bells. Well, what about the pomegranates? What about those, the palmain dream? Why do you need the palmain? Why do you need this inter, intermittent palmain? Between every two bells, you have a palmain. And the Chavitz Chaim says, a beautiful bark. The Chavitz Chaim says as follows. There's a Gemara that says, in Chulun, Pei Tesem, and Aleph, Ma'um Nasei Shel Adam Ba'il Mazet. What is the ultimate profession that a person has in this world? What should be my job? Doctor, lawyer, dentist, engineer, architect? No, that's not the omnis of a person in this world. Says Chazal, Yosim Atzmai Ki'ilein. The best thing a person could do as a professional thing is he should make himself an elim. Make yourself a mute. That's not difficult. I don't have to go to school for that. All I have to do is just not talk. Beautiful. You might think to say, oh, even Tyra, I shouldn't speak Tyra either. No. It says, words of righteousness, words of, words of justice, that you should speak. So Chavitz Chaim says that when a person cannot learn Torah. So then what should he do? He should make himself ki'ilim. So the Chavitz Chaim says, that's the lesson of the Pamein. Every single time, the Rimein, the, the, I mean, of the Rimein, the Pamein, the bell, represents things that we can speak about. The sounds that we can make. The Torah, the Tzvilah, the Chesed, that's wonderful. In the meantime, between those times, what do you do? What's the, what are the sounds that are supposed to be made in between the Kedusha, the talk, Silence. The Rimaim. 
Whatever you want to say about the remind with the tired mitzvah, so all the tired that we know about the remind, one thing that we can all agree upon, the remind is a very quiet fruit. It's quiet. It doesn't speak. So Chavetz Chaim says a person has to know that between the Torah, between all the things that we are allowed to speak, make sure to remember the lesson of the remind of what you're not allowed to say. Normally the default is not talk, 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 and then once in a while I'll be quiet and listen, but rather it's listen, 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 or quiet, 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 and then occasionally talk words of Torah. And then says the Chavetz Chaim beautifully, then... When we come to Davin and we want our tefillahs to be heard, if our mouths are used as a clay kaidesh, only for Tyra, only for tefillah, then the nishma kailai bevayela kaidesh. As we come before the Rabbi Shalom and engage him in Tyra, in tefillah, in bakasha, then the nishma kailai, then our voices, our sounds, our words will be heard. Because the Rabbi Shalom understands that we're a person who thinks about what we say. And when we open up our mouth, it's not just flippantly, and it's not just very, very liberally, and it's not just, you know, casually. Whatever we say is important. It's chashuv. That's our umness, to be quiet, to be thoughtful, to be thinking, to be silent. And then when we come to the Rabbi Shalom, v'nishma kaila b'vayla then... HaKadosh Baruch will make sure to listen to our tefillahs. If we're wondering why is it that our tefillahs are not being answered, they're not being niskabel, it's because perhaps the mouths that we're using are not really so great. The, 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 the tools, the kalim that we're using have holes in them because of the fact that we use them and we abuse them for so many things that, they're not, that are not holy. If we're able to cleanse our mouth if we're able to put, as David Amalek says, a machsen lefi, a muzzle on our mouth, make sure to filter our words, make sure that whatever we're saying is birushus, then our kalim will be whole again. And then we have aftacha from the Rabbanu Shalom, v'nishma kailai b'bayel ha'kadosh, you come to David and Yitz Hashem, all of our tefillahs will be niskabel, kenyi rotsen.